You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So happy to be with you today. Um, I don't know exactly what happened. I, I got a lot of messages yesterday saying, um, why haven't you uploaded a podcast, etc., etc. Lots of people saying that nothing was appearing on iTunes. So I don't know. I th- it looks like it's up on iTunes. I don't know. Definitely something to monitor, and if any of you have iTunes and possibly other options, and you've noticed some issues, just, uh, you know, let me know. That would be good to know, considering like 50% of my downloads come from iTunes. That one's gonna hurt. Plus, then I get into, you know, conspiracies about Russia, other podcasters trying to, you know, conspire against me. I get to do all kinds of crazy stuff that's fun. Except the Russia and China thing is kind of played out. I'd have to, I'd have to find a different boogeyman. Could, well, I can't do Brazil. There's a lot of Packer fans there. I don't want to make them upset. Who, who doesn't care about the Packers that I could pick on? I've got a little map here. I can hover over some countries where I don't have any downloads. Let's see. I could say Greenland because it's a large landmass, but there's no people there. Maybe that's a good thing. I'm going with Algeria. So let me just say, I'm not going to stand for this. And if Algeria doesn't knock it off, I'm, I'm going to, you just watch. I don't know, I'm warming up to it. I, I'm, I'm new to this whole thing. I do know that it's Algeria, though. It's so funny hovering over this map. Not a lot of love in Africa. One random download in Nigeria. 30 in Namibia. 28 in Botswana. Zero in South Africa. I don't believe that for a second, you liar. There's like 400 billion people in South Africa forget it i changed my mind south africa is the problem bunch of jerks zero downloads in south africa 57.78 million people i don't know about you guys but i hate them so anyways today i want to look a little bit deeper into uh, exactly what happened on that fateful day in which we beat the saints i am uh, proud to report that uh, via pff the packers are still very slightly the highest graded team in football However, we have to still take this with a grain of salt. As I said when I went through yesterday, when you're looking at all the different teams, pretty much everybody's gone against really bad teams because there's, there's only really bad teams in the NFL right now. Everything looks sloppy and kind of iffy, you know, like the Colts falling to the Jaguars. Like, what is that all about? Um, and so things are still kind of weird. You've also got a lot of people catching on to the fact that defenses are still kind of just floundering. I've heard a couple different people reference the NFL as turning into just sort of like college football now these days where offenses are just ripping apart defenses. There are a couple that are coming around. We do have now five defenses that are in the 70s, as in they're good now, or at least overall. The Pittsburgh Steelers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Chicago Bears, Colts, and 49ers, um, none of which still are seen as extremely good at any one thing. But they're starting to wake up a bit. But again, to give you the full context, the Green Bay Packers, and again, this is PFF, so it is it is what it is. They have the Packers defense 14th overall, just to give you an idea of how bad things are in the NFL right now. And again, in hopes that things do wake up. And, and who knows, maybe there's, 
you know, a lot of people keep pointing out the crowd noise thing, that that's really hindering defenses or just really benefiting offenses or maybe a little bit of both. So this may not change very much. If that's the case and defenses can't get fired up because there's no crowd noise and offenses can just, you know, operate normally because they don't have ear-bleeding noise 24-7. And you can kind of feel that, you know? Like, even through the television when you're sitting there, if, if your team's trying to mount a comeback or this is a really important drive and you're on the road in New Orleans or whatever and you can hear that noise, it just feels like, man, we're not going to get this. There's just no way. And I think that does emanate. You know, the defense feeds off that. The offense feels that. There might be something to it. It sounds ridiculous. It's one of those things when people say it to me, it's like, yeah, I don't know about that. But, I mean, it's it's pretty staggering. You know, we could talk about, well, it's because they had no practice. Yeah, neither did the offense. That's not stopping offenses around the league from just dominating defenses everywhere. Alan Lazard and Aaron Rodgers didn't have any practice. That's not slowing them down. But anyways, there you are. Packers still graded as the number one passing, pass-blocking team in the NFL. Those are two separate things. I don't know why I ran it together into one. Uh, Third and run blocking, so the offensive line is still dominant. As I was kind of poking through just these overall things, one of the things that really excited me um, that I want to look at a little bit more because it's very surprising, obviously the biggest weakness on the Green Bay Packers team right now, if you were to ask any single human being on earth, say it with me now, run defense, right? The guy in the back that said punting, get out. Get all the way out. Um, But as I look at it, and you sort by running, Packers are 11th, which whatever. Again, we've had, you got to remember, we've had two, and this is the other thing. Through three weeks, there's a lot of unique situations. Some teams who have gone up against garbage opponents are ranked really high because PFF doesn't, this is where DVOA comes in, although DVOA can't really do a good job because they don't know what everybody is. Right, you adjust based on how good a defense is, but they don't know yet. Anyways, they don't adjust based on competition. And so if the Packers face the Vikings, who basically made an entire game plan to stop Aaron Jones, and the Saints made an entire game plan to stop Aaron Jones, there's no adjustment for that. It's simply, well, Aaron Jones didn't do too good on two out of his three games, right? That's just the way it is. Anyways, I'm on here looking and I'm saying, all right, where exactly are the Atlanta Falcons? Oh, they're dead last. There are only two teams with a running grade below a 60, 60 being exactly average. There's number uh, The first team is the Detroit Lions at 57.4, and then you have the Falcons at 51.0. Now, I don't want to already do a breakdown of the Falcons, but since we're here, let's look at it for a second. Kind of surprised me because the little bit I watched of that Bears-Falcons game, it seemed like they were ripping off some chunks. Um, and interestingly, the one guy that I kept seeing do that was a guy named Brian Hill, who I've never heard of. He is their highest graded runner right now. Todd Gurley is fifth out of seven people who have run the ball on their team. He's not only behind Brian Hill, he's behind Keith Smith, their fullback, Calvin Ridley, the wide receiver, Ito Smith, the other running back. He's just ahead of Matt Ryan. Todd Gurley is the bell cow, but 49 attempts, 197 yards, 4.0 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, nine first downs, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But again, the, the issue for the Falcons is, do we just play our game and play into the Packers' strength, which is we're going to drop back and pass, allow the Packers' pass rush to get after us, um, trust that our wide receivers are going to beat their corners, which they probably will. But again, corners are more or less our strength when you compare it to the linebackers and defensive line. And also try to go toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae and that crew. Or do we try to switch it up and run the ball and become a two-headed attack? It's, it's it's not a, a diff, it's not a hard 
It is a difficult question. I don't know why I can't say that right. It seems like it shouldn't be, but again, opportunistic defense. Look at what happens when they run, 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 or just do these quick little dump-off passes. It doesn't give the Packers the opportunity to do what they want to do, and there weren't very much, there wasn't much of an impact from the defense. You play into the Packers' strength, they're going to get after you. That's all I'm saying. I, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. Anyways, before we dig too much more into this, uh, I want to get um, thank yous out of the way. I'm honestly not entirely sure where I left off, but uh, say thank you to Eamon Moran who jumped in on Patreon for the year. Thank you so much for your support. Also, thanks to Justin Connor, who uh, bumped his pledge up. And then thank you, oh my goodness, here we go, to Nicholas Mommertz. M-O, I shouldn't spell it. I don't need people creeping on the guy. I don't know, that's wild though. I'm going with Mommertz. Also, Nick, I don't know if you saw my response to your message, but uh, yeah, we should uh, connect sometime. As I've said to everybody else, everybody's got their own unique strengths and weaknesses or whatever. And I'm open to help any way I can get it. Um, I also wanted to mention, as far as Patreon, I am sorry I said we were going to do some kind of a live stream. Um, I passed out at 5 o'clock. Been battling this cold or whatever, and I was pretty miserable on Sunday. And since I don't stay up late anyways, I thought I'd go lay down for a little bit. It was, I don't know, 4.30, 5 o'clock. And I passed out, and my family had to come wake me up before kickoff. That was absolutely not my plan. I was going to do something before the game. Um, But we are absolutely going to be doing that. I don't mind lying to you guys once in a while about stuff if I say I'm going to do something and change my mind, but when it's, hey, you should jump in on Patreon because I'm going to do something, and then I don't, that's kind of messed up. So we're going to do that at some point this season, this week, I don't know, whenever I can. I'm very behind on a lot of stuff right now. Wildly overextended. But I'm working on it. But anyways, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the podcast, there are other ways in which to do so. Check the description if you want to do that, etc., etc., also, please get uh, jump on that Cheese and Packers Facebook page. We're trying to grow that out. be greatly appreciated if you could do so. Otherwise, get in the Packer Night Podcast Facebook group. That's where the main party is. Otherwise, let's take a break so that we can just, uh, with no interruptions, look at all the information there is to see. So, not even kidding, I woke up today. Um, it's, it's getting to be that point in the year where you wake up and it's like you're just kind of chilled to the bone. It's just It's just like that. So, what did I do? I went and grabbed my Iron Jock hoodie. I'm wearing it right now. This thing is amazing. The thing I really, really like about it, and it's really hard to explain, it doesn't make you hot. I know, I, I know one of the things listed here is breathable, but I've, I've had clothing that was listed as breathable. It didn't seem to mean very much. I think yesterday it was like 74 degrees. I don't know why I put it on. Maybe I was just trying it on. I have no idea. But it just it's, it's no different than just like putting on a t-shirt. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know. It does keep you warm. It doesn't make you too hot. It's, it's, I, I, I can't explain it, man. But anyways, Iron Jock is a Wisconsin-based company that has recently just launched. They make fantastic products. If the rest of their stuff is anything like their hoodies, and I'm, I'm telling you, I am buying more Iron Jock stuff because this is, I love this. But they got polo shirts, vests, uh, workout shirts, long and short sleeves, sweatshirts, shorts, socks and underwear, running jackets, hoodies, pants. Every single item has their Enduratech fabric. It is proprietary silver ion technology that is infused into the fabric and is uh, has permanent odor protection for the lifetime of the fabric. So as long as it's, you know, fabric, which is all of it, you got odor protection. It kills 99.9% of all bacteria and fungus. It is infused with this nano silver. The Enduratech fabric gives you wicking and fast drying. It's breathable, it's anti-static, and it eliminates odor. And then if you get some of their long pants, shorts, hoodies, or running jacket, 
that has Enduratec Plus fabric, which also has all those things, but on top of that is water repellent. So I'm actually upset that I haven't used this in the rain because I want to know what that's like. I guess I could just like run it under the sink or something. I just want to see what happens. I don't know. I don't, I don't I, again, I don't get nice clothing. I actually hate nice clothing. Not, I shouldn't say nice. I hate new clothing. You go to the store and get a shirt and it's all like stiff and it smells like a new shirt. It's like, yeah. I got to wash it like 19 times before I want to put it on my body because it's just, it's what, you know, that's why I like buying used stuff. It's like, oh, somebody wore this for 15 years. It's a faded Packer shirt. I'm buying that. This thing, man, so crazy comfortable. And again, if I had some kind of way to describe it to you, I would, but I can't. Um, I did send out the two hoodies to the winners from last week, so I'm excited to get some feedback from them so it's not just me telling you this. But um, again, you don't have to wait to win the competition. You can go over to ironjock.com, that's I-R-O-N-J-O-C.com, get a better understanding, watch their videos of what exactly it is that their their uh, material does. You can also follow them on Facebook or Twitter at ironjock, I-R-O-N-J-O-C. I also need to let you know about our friends over at my bookie. We already got this week's line. The Green Bay Packers currently are seven and a half point favorites. Now, generally, that would be a terrible line for the Green Bay Packers. And I know a lot of people are out there saying trap game, all that stuff. Maybe. Again, I'm not telling you what to do. But the problem with seven and a half points, as some people like to point out, which is absolutely true, is is teams don't play to cover spreads. They play to win. In other words, you get to a certain point and then you kind of coast and that allows other teams to kind of come back. Also, if you look at the Atlanta Falcons, they lose because they fall apart, but usually they're up by big leads and it's usually a pretty close game. So I don't know if I love it, but from the Packers' perspective, if they have the opportunity to kick you over and over and over and over and over and win by 75 points, that's exactly what they're going to do. So there's no interest, maybe by Petten, but there's no interest by Matt LaFleur to let off the gas. Just throwing that out there. The, uh... They got the over-under set at 58 points. That's something else to consider. I have a hard time believing it's not going to reach 60. But whether or not you like any of that, there, there's plenty of other games to look at. The Colts are two-and-a-half-point favorites over our friends in Chicago. Saints are four-point favorites over the Detroit Lions. I kind of like that a lot. And the Texans are three-and-a-half-point favorites over the Minnesota Vikings. I love that everybody in the NFC North is uh, expected to lose, except the Packers, seven-and-a-half-point favorites over the Falcons. But either way, my bookie's got live action during the game. You got prop bets. You can, again, you can literally bet on the weather. You can bet on politics. You can bet on chess. Pretty much anything that you can take action on, my bookie will take that action. But most importantly, do not forget, you need to go create an account. Whatever it is you feel you can put down, put it down. Use promo code OVERTIME. They're going to double that deposit. Then you take a screen capture of that. If you don't know how, ask somebody. They'll tell you. You send that to OVERTIME at advertisecast.com, A-D-V-E-R-T-I-S-E-C-A-S-T. There was some confusion on that. Overtime at advertisecast.com. You're going to be entered to win $500. Just make an account. That's all you got to do. But you got to do it quickly because at the end of the month, meaning once this month is over and it's October, we're shutting it off, we're picking a name, you're getting $500. Please, 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 do not miss out on that opportunity. There's zero reason not to enter to win $500 for free. Well, not entirely free. You probably got to put something down in my bookie, but you don't have to put $500 down. I'm trying to hint real hard here. Please go do that right away. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. 
Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so let's start with uh, personnel grouping just because it's interesting to see the way we're going. Um, again, it's sort of a grain of salt thing. When Devontae's out, we don't have a lot of wide receivers to lean on, so so going out in three wide receiver sets would be pretty unlikely. With that said, as of right now, the Packers utilize that um, the second least in the NFL. Generally, as I said, it's 60-20-8-ish or whatever. We're pretty much in line with that. The NFL average for when people use 11 personnel is 61%. 12 personnel is 18%, 21 personnel is 8%. Well, the Packers, instead of 61%, are in 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, 36% of the time. The 49ers are the only team that run it less. They're at 35% of the time. 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers, which makes the most sense, especially with Devontae out, because we got Lazard, we have MVS, and we got a bunch of tight ends we like, whether it's Sternberger, DeGuara, Mercedes, Tanyan. Obviously, DeGuara wasn't in recently, but you understand what I'm saying. The Packers utilize that 25% of the time. That is the fifth most in the NFL. Philadelphia is ridiculous, running at about 60% of the time, which makes sense because the two best wide receivers on their team happen to be tight ends. Um, the real stark contrast, though, is 21 personnel, which is two running backs, one tight end, two wide receivers. Packers actually run that 28% of the time. It is their second most utilized package, second most behind only the San Francisco 49ers. The average in the NFL is 8%. We're running at 28%. The other interesting note, and I'll, I'll, well, let's, I'll run through it briefly. It doesn't matter as much, but the other personnel groupings um, that the Packers have utilized so far after those three, again, so in order, 11 personnel, 36% of the time, 21 personnel, 28, 12 personnel, 25 after that, 4% of the time, they're in 22 personnel, two running backs, two tight ends, one wide receiver, uh, 13 personnel, 5% of the time. And then they've run zero personnel, which is five wide, um, only once, according to this, which is just spreading everybody out. I'm sure there's running backs and tight ends involved in that. Um, 02 or two personnel, they've done that once, 32 personnel one, uh, twice, and 31 personnel once. So basically, it's the big three still, like most teams. Looking at success rate, Obviously, the Packers are going to skew successful more often than not because they're just more successful than most. But outside of the outliers, like uh, the one time we ran zero personnel, which is five wide receivers, we were successful. That makes it 100%. Ignoring those, 
our best personnel package based on on success rate is 12 personnel one running back two tight ends and two wide receivers we are successful in that 68 percent of the time um the sorting on this doesn't work very well but i can see two teams that are better out of 12 personnel um the only package we run that is less than 50 percent success is 13 personnel We've only run it 10 times, but we got a, you know, four out of 10. We've been successful in that. So pretty interesting. Um, in terms of run pass, the Packers are one of the more run-heavy teams. The one caveat I'll put, oh, there's two caveats, really. And in my mind, they kind of cancel each other out, but, you know, whatever. Right now, the Packers run the ball, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth most in the NFL, 54% pass, uh, 46% run. I should say tied for eighth with the Vikings, the 49ers, and the Raiders. The the two caveats, and again, th- this will all balance out by the end of the year. Number one is, again, we've gone against two teams that have tried to take away the run. And so you get into a situation where running is sort of, you know, keeping them honest and trying to wear down the defense at least a little bit. But for the most part, passing is what we're doing because passing is what's successful. So that may skew it more toward pass than run. On the other hand, if you look at running and passing based on quarter, the Packers actually have been passing quite a bit more on first, second, and third quarter. Fourth quarter is when they run the most. Why? Because we're winning most of these games. So look, I mean, at, at the end of the day, the one great thing about Matt LaFleur is he does what works. And he may be a kind of guy that wants to run, but as we see, when teams like the Vikings sell out against the run, what do we do? We give the ball to Aaron Rodgers and say, just carve them up, man. They want to play stupid and try to take away Aaron Jones and not pay attention to you. You got to make them pay for it, and we do. Same situation with the Saints. We're going to run. We're going to run. You, you're going to sell out against the run. All right, cool, man. Rodgers, do your thing. Then we see against the Lions, what do they do? They stack the box very little. They try to sell out against stopping the pass. Aaron Jones absolutely carves them up. That flexibility is a fantastic thing. And so that'll change from week to week, depending on what teams are, are planning to do. But anyways, looking at this game, uh, many of you have heard already by now, Mercedes Lewis was the highest graded player on the team. It was mostly his receiving ability, probably because he was five passing attempts, and on those attempts he had a touchdown. Running and pass blocking was fine, not elite, but, you know, good enough. Um, other guys that did great jobs, Aaron Rodgers, still still so far the highest graded quarterback. I should check that, although the Monday night games haven't uh, updated yet anyways. But three games in a row. This is his lowest graded game of the season at 86.7, which is remarkable. His overall PFF grade is a 95.6, which is just absolute insanity. Um, the fact that he had a 96 overall grade in week one, and the, the question was, you know, or the, the statement would be this is obviously not sustainable, but we got to see how good of a job he does. After three weeks, he has a 95.6 overall grade, and the Falcons are coming up. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, some other guys, the other guy that was uh, really high was David Bakhtiari, who has just been one of the, it, it's weird to say underrated, but he really has been. This is, I mean, just like Aaron Rodgers, this might be the best year he's ever had. And maybe it has to do with the competition level, but not only is he maybe still the best pass blocking tackle in football, he's probably the best run blocking tackle in football right now, which is the one thing that he never does. You, you highlight guys like Lindsley who do a good job. Some of the guards occasionally do pretty good in blocking. Obviously, our wide receivers do a good job in blocking. David Bakhtiari was never that guy. He is 100% committed to this run blocking. Again, if that was a hindrance to them getting a deal done with David Bakhtiari, that needs to just get done. He has not taken a step back in pass blocking at all. Matter of fact, I should stop making statements and just look at it. 
All right, so he's not number one in either one category. Um, he is sixth overall in pass blocking, allowing zero sacks, zero hits, and two hurries on the season. Um, of the guys that are graded higher, Ronnie Stanley is the only guy with better stats, zero sacks, zero hits, and one hurry. But um, all phenomenal pass blockers. Run blocking, he is currently third overall with Daryl Williams and Andrew Whitworth as the only guys that are higher. David Bakhtiari, overall, number one tackle in football. He is one of very, very few people. Andrew Whitworth, I think, is, is the only one that I can see that grades extremely well in both categories. Ronnie Stanley, great pass blocker, good run blocker. David Bakhtiari is 80 in both, as is Andrew Whitworth, by the way. Absolutely dominant what he's doing right now. Number one tackle in football. The guy is just incredible. And again, again it's we talk about how the Packers don't give those you know, third contracts or whatever. This has to be an exception. Because I, I also understand, as much as we have these hard and fast rules, another one of those hard and fast rules is that you don't let talent like this go. And unless they just are assuming there's a hard fall-off you know, coming, I just I don't see it. I don't see how you don't get it done. I understand the money's tight, but, I mean, this, this is the best he's ever graded through three weeks. This is the best he's ever looked. I mean, just, just his, his run-blocking grades in his career. Again, I've been saying nobody along the Packers' offensive line even cares about run-blocking. It's never been an emphasis. The question is, once we make it an emphasis, who's going to be able to step up and do it? I never thought Bakhtiari would be a guy who could do it. I just thought he's a great pass blocker, and that's it. And, he, you know, it's, you pay him for that, and that's just the end of it. His grades since 2013, 61, 54, 60, 64, 68, 69, 65, 85.9. That's that Matt LaFleur effect, man. Hey, Bakhtiari, let me teach you how to run block since you've never been taught how to do this before. All right, cool, man. Thanks. Now I'm the best in football at it. Just like that. Amazing. Um, Other guys that did a good job based on uh, grades, talking about the 70s, Robert Tanyan had a great game. Jay Sternberger, which is incredible to see. We need him to have somewhat of a breakout, and he did. Uh, Lucas Patrick along the offensive line, which is another one that's great to see. You worry about him. And then Alan Lazar. Um... Nobody was abysmal, but we did have several below 60, the lowest of which was MVS, but uh, I think we have to sort of maybe give him a little bit of little bit of grace. He was talking, I, I didn't quite understand it, but it sounds like maybe they were doubling him up or whatever. I don't really know. Obviously, something was, was off, which makes you nervous when Rodgers is struggling to hit MVS. It's like, oh, here we go, 2019 all over again. Um, but it was hard to tell, like with Rodgers, when he was shaking his head and looking frustrated. I couldn't tell if it was because those those corners were pretty grabby. I'm not making excuses, but you wonder if if Rodgers is like, dude, come on, not at MVS, but like, where are the refs like calling this? He's getting pushed and pulled and everything else. So I I don't know. Obviously, they were trying to make that work. They couldn't make it work. But uh, nobody was like purely putrid whatever. Now there were certain categories in which people were really terrible. If you look at, for example, pass blocking. Um, the running backs had a real rough time. Aaron Jones graded in the 30s. Jace was in the 20s. And Jamal, 18.3 was his pass blocking grade. So they had a real hard time. But otherwise, everyone was fairly decent in pass blocking. Uh, the only sack that was given up on the day was credited to Aaron Rodgers. So none of the blockers took the blame on that. Zero hits, eight hurries. Um, two from Elton Jenkins, who graded out probably his worst game that I've seen. His run blocking was in the 50s, pass blocking 72, so he was kind of getting worked in that game. Um, Otherwise, Billy Turner was the lowest graded pass blocker, big shock. It was a 70, which isn't the worst, but still, getting kind of tired of it. He also allowed two hurries in the game, 55 run blocking, so he didn't do very much. Otherwise, Aaron Jones was responsible for one, Jamal was responsible for one, Bakhtiari was responsible for one, and Mercedes Lewis was responsible. That was where all the the pressures came from. The uh, 
other interesting note, I guess, maybe a little bit interesting, not much, is there was only one other guy that graded out well in run blocking, and that was Darius Shepard. Again, keep in mind, this was the Saints' plan from day one. You're not going to be able to stop us. And, uh, I mean, in terms of, of you're not going to be able to stop us from stopping you from running, if that makes any sense. It doesn't, and I could say it better, but I won't. You figure it out. Um, Aaron Rodgers, as far as his grades, when he was not under pressure, he graded out as elite. 19 of 23, 82.6% completions for 268 yards, 11.7 yards per attempt, and two touchdowns. Even under pressure, though, not bad. 68.4 overall grade. He did only complete two. However, of the uh, additional seven that he didn't complete, first of all, of those two completions, one of them was a touchdown, so that works in his favor. He also was sacked once, and he was he had one drop and three throwaways. So that accounts for five of the seven. So in other words, there were only two bad throws while under pressure. If you're looking at the uh, regions on the field, the only area in which he clearly struggled was the right side of the field, which is where MVS was for most of the day. He was 0 for 3, deep right side of the field. Otherwise, anywhere from between the numbers to the left side of the hat, he graded out phenomenally. 2 for 2, short middle, 4 for 4, short right. And then uh, his, his... most dominant area of the field was deep left side of the field. He was 2 for 2 for 71 yards, 92.9 grade, 118.8 uh, passer rating. So Rodgers just just continuing to carve it up. Um, the other thing to take away from this is clearly, again, the Packers do not feel all that comfortable getting away from their comfort zone. I think everybody, especially myself, but a lot of other Packer fans are wondering where in the world is A.J. Dillon. Again, they really feel like we've got this thing really humming right now. We don't need guys that don't exactly know what they're doing on the field. And that was never more clear than against the Saints, where I thought there was a lot of opportunities to get A.J. Dillon in, and they just refused. And um, the fact that they're running AJ Aaron Jones 16 times in a game, which is about as high as you want to, and they know they shouldn't be running him so much. I mean, in three games, he has 16, 18, and 16 attempts. I mean, it's not too crazy. Toward the end of last year, it was like in the 20s, which I think is what they want. You keep him fresh so that you can run him 20, 23, 24 times if you need it, you know, in the playoffs or whatever. I just feel like we're kind of dancing on iffy territory with Aaron Jones. If the goal is we need to keep him fresh, obviously we have a bye week coming up, but it really just feels like, especially against games like the Saints, they're like, listen, we need everything to go really smoothly. We cannot have guys like A.J. Dillon on the field. And, and the other guy that I thought was going to have a big day um, was Tyler Irvin because I thought that that was a weapon that we could utilize in the absence of Devontae Adams. But again, they just did not feel comfortable getting away from just their core guys. Aaron Jones, Alan Lazard, and that's pretty much it. Jamal had six carries, uh, only 2.3 yards per carry. Aaron Jones, 4.3, which again is relatively impressive considering the uh, what he was up against. But I still, I don't know, man. I just, I think when he... When Dylan gets out there, he's going to really blow some people away. But they, again, it really just feels like Matt LaFleur's just like, no, we're not, we're not messing with this. Our core group has got something special here, and everybody else is just going to sit down and shut up, which makes me sad, but it is what it is. Um, clearly, the left side of the, the uh, offensive line where David Bakhtiari is was just phenomenal. If you look, starting on the right end, yards per attempt, 2.3, 1, 3, 2, and 2.5 yards per attempt. Then you go off the left tackle. This would, I believe, be, um, for example, between the left tackle and the tight end if he were on the field. 19 yards per attempt, which is only one, but there you go. Then you have left end, which is around the outside tight end. That's 5.2 yards per attempt. So off the left side, that's where there was the most dominance running. Otherwise, we just couldn't get anything going. Uh, Flipping over to defense quickly because I got to get going here. 
Some pretty surprising names on this list. Um, we'll start with some of the negatives. Christian Kirksey, once again, was the worst player on the field. I know everybody's probably jumping up and down doing backflips, finding out the guy's got a shoulder injury because, hey, when he's healthy, he's one of the best linebackers in football. Ha ha, he's hurt, so that's the only reason. Okay, whatever. The guy's grades through three weeks have been 49, 34, and 29. By the way, his grade last year, 48. The year before that was a 44. So this is pretty par for the course for Christian Kirksey, unfortunately. He has not graded in the 50s since like 2017. So, you know, whatever. Anyways, on the positive side, there was some good news from linebackers, most notably Mr. Oren Burks, the guy who, um, similar to Kirksey, I don't think I've seen him grade out positively ever. He's had a couple real low 70 games. However, this week, highest graded defender with an 80 overall grade. The other really exciting thing about this, um, as much as it's frustrating that he didn't do very well against the run, he had a couple tackles, I think one fairly impactful tackle. Didn't have any missed tackles, which is another really good thing. I mean, his tackling grade was fine. But the big thing that we like about Oren Burks is his coverage ability. PFF loved what he did. He had almost an 80 overall grade in coverage. One target, one reception for three yards, that's it. He was in coverage eight times, and and for a team that was picking on linebackers all day, he was only targeted once, caught, immediately brought down. I'll take it. Small sample size, we'll see what happens. Take it nice and slow, but man, if Oren Burks could take even a half a step, and again, even if he sucks against the run but can cover, at this point, I will 100,000% take that. 100 billion thousand trillion and 10. Yes, please. Um, on top of that, Chris Barnes wasn't great. He graded out his average, but that's that's basically three games in a row. We're talking 47 total snaps, 28 against the run, 17 in coverage. His run defense grade is a 70. His tackling grade is an 84, and his coverage grade is a 76. I mean, the guy's, he's not great, and his grade keeps getting worse every week. But so far through three weeks, I mean, he's somewhat competent. 11 tackles, zero missed tackles. Six stops, which again is a tackle that is a loss for the offense. He's been targeted five times. Four of them were caught for only 19 yards. They did say he gave up one touchdown so far this year. But, you know, again, he hasn't been out there all that much, but he's been relatively impressive so far. So I don't know. Maybe that's kind of a duo there. Barnes and Burks. You know, I kind of like saying Kirksey and Berksy, but Burks and Barnes kind of works. I don't know. Um, other guys that had great days, obviously Kingsley Kiki. Very close to being number one just behind uh, Oren Burks. The biggest thing for him, although his run defense was right around 70, which is what it's always been, he's basically our best run defender by being barely mediocre at it, but the pass rush is what came up. The Packers were terrible rushing the passer in this game. Um, It kind of pains me to say Rashawn Gary going out kind of hurt the team because Adarius didn't do jack squat. He had zero pressures in this game, which, you know, I don't know. I don't even want to talk about it. But the team as a whole had five pressures and two sacks. Three pressures and two sacks. Of that came from Kingsley Kiki. The only pressures outside of Kingsley Kiki, one um, one hurry came from Preston Smith, one hurry came from Chris Barnes. That's it. Kingsley Kiki accounted for 100% of the rest of our pressures and sacks. So, you know, I, again, I don't want to, I don't want to overreact. But as we slowly try to get better, if if we could get Zadarius to wake up a little bit, kind of get after it a little bit. And who knows, maybe it was more of a focus on stopping Alvin Kamara because the one real positive note, if you look at run defense, Zadarius was an 89.8, basically elite, which is fantastic. Also, you want more good running back news? Ty Summers' run defense grade, 88.5. Terrible in coverage. Tackling grade was horrible. But 
his his run defense, which again, there's a difference between you know getting off your blocks, getting in the right hole, all that kind of stuff, and actually bringing the guy down is a separate issue. He had two missed tackles in this game, but again, there's there's glimmers here. It's just about stitching it all together. You know, we got some guys doing some things really really well that we've never seen before, and it's all positive. But we also got guys like Zadarius who just cannot get to the quarterback. You've got Kevin King having a bad day. Christian Kirksey, who is our number one linebacker, not doing anything. So as the the real bad kind of overshadows things, especially on defense, where a lot of times it's just you're, you're, you're only as strong as your weakest link, you don't see the positive, but the, it's there. Right? Ty, Ty Summers being elite against the run, Zadarius being elite against the run, that's huge. Kingsley Kiki taking a step as a pass rusher, that's huge. Oren being a really good coverage linebacker is huge. Now, it's a matter of can we get those to stay and then get these other guys who are being worse can they kind of step it up or is everybody else going to regress and we just have a terrible defense it's really just which way is it going to teeter and fall but something's got to break here something's got to give a little bit because through three weeks you know the 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 biggest thing that scares me is everybody talked about the Packers being a, a massive regression candidate Almost all of it had to do with the defense was largely unsustainable, and so far they've been 100% correct. Zadarius is not what he was last year. Preston is not what he was last year. Nothing is the way that it was last year. This defense and everything that was good about it is just dissolved. There's nothing good about this defense right now. Our highest graded edge rusher is Zadarius. He's grading out as the 60th overall pass rusher in football with a 61.6 overall grade. That's horrific. And the only reason he's even that high is because he just had an elite run defense grade. So this, I mean, again... This is bad. Needs to get a lot better. And what I need to see is Zadarius not quitting on plays because that absolutely makes me want to cry. But it absolutely did happen. I saw it at least twice where he's just standing there, not even trying. That's that's not good. Anyway, some other guys that were solid against the run. Darnell Savage actually had an 80 overall grade. Tyler Lancaster, Kingsley Kiki, Rashawn, who went out, was okay, not super great. Uh, two guys that were really terrible, Jair and Kirksey. Jair was fine, though, don't worry. Actually, I don't even think I went through the overalls yet. Uh, the other guys who were really good on defense, Jair was third, then Raven Green, who didn't play very much, which is shocking. And that's another really positive thing. He only played six snaps. He was the fourth highest graded defender. For some reason, we still got uh, Will Redmond out there 32 times, and he was horrible. He was our third worst player overall. We need to substitute Will Redmond for Raven Green, and that's going to be a massive upgrade. I don't know why we're not doing that. Probably just because we don't want him to get hurt or something. I don't know. Uh, Adrian Amos and Montrevious Adams actually graded out pretty well. Nothing really stood out overall, but just kind of overall decent across the board. And then Tyler Lancaster is the only other player that uh, stood out as being solid. Pass rush, uh, Kingsley Kiki was the one that had a 73 overall grade, the only other one in the 70s. Surprisingly, small sample size, but hey, I'll take it, Mr. Billy Wynn. So good on him. And then finally, in coverage, Jair Alexander, number one overall with an 81.7 grade. The man was targeted twice. Of those two passes, one of them he broke up. The other one was caught for a negative two-yard gain. Now, we got to see with Jair, right? Remember, the last two weeks, he's gone up against teams that did not have their number one wide receivers. There's no Kenny Galladay. There's no Michael Thomas, and they don't have a lot of really talented number twos. And then you look back at Minnesota, and he, you know, it hurt a little bit. That being said, both of Minnesota's wide receivers are ranked, I think, in the top five right now. Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. So they're as bad as Minnesota is. The wide receivers are just absolutely dominant right now. So we got to see which way that goes. Obviously, the Atlanta Falcons are not going to be an easy test. We'll see how he stacks up. But as of right now, um, Jair is currently graded as, let me get rid of that guy, the second highest graded cornerback. Hilariously, the highest graded cornerback in football right now is Xavier Rhodes. (laughs) 
Oh, the Vikings, the poor Vikings. Stephon Diggs leaves, he's tearing it up. Xavier Rhodes leaves, he's having his first good year in his career ever. Just beautiful. But yeah, Jair is still tearing it up right now. Um, two other guys that were solid in coverage. I mentioned Oren Burks, really good. Also, Adrian Amos graded out really well. Two targets, two receptions for a total of nine yards. Of the three touchdowns given up, I mentioned one of them was credited to Chris Barnes, the other was Kevin King, and then Mr. Will, Will Redmond was the other one. So, again, it's it's very, you know, the offense is humming. The defense is very kind of up and down right now, right? You got some guys that are stepping up that we've never seen. We've never seen Oren Burks do that. We've never seen Kiki do well as a pass rusher, right? Ty Summers doing a really good job against the run, minus the whole tackling part where you got to finish. But there, there's glimmers of hope. And it's like if you guys could just keep doing that, and we can get Zadarius back doing Zadarius things, and Preston finding at least one thing that he can do well. So far, he hasn't. And Rashawn gets healthy and back on the field and continues doing what he started off doing. Again, he's not grading out very well overall, but as a pass rusher, he's putting up numbers. With with Jair finally seemingly having his breakout year, which again, we'll see what happens when he gets against some tougher competition, but it's, it's, it's on the brink, right? In both directions. It's on the brink of being an absolute disaster, but it's also on the brink of being a really dominant defense, just considering, depending which way this thing breaks. And again, I, I do put a lot of that on Mike Pettin, the decisions he's making. You know, for example, Will Redmond being out there over Raven Green, I don't understand that. But hopefully they get a chance to look this over and figure out who the best linebackers are, poss- even if it's just situational, right? This guy's good against the run, this guy's good against the pass. Depending on the situation, we're just subbing in and out these guys and making it work. I don't care. Just make something work, please. But anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.